So I got one that I, I don't know if I want to talk about because I'm actually pretty embarrassed by it. It was called Lightning Man. Um, when I was a kid in Oklahoma, I imagined this this man who looks kind of like Mysterio from Spider-Man, but he's, his body's made of lightning. And I claimed that I saw him <laughs> multiple times um, over the course of probably three years. And then he just became the go-to boogeyman for me. And uh, I don't know. After a while, I just kind of forgot about him. But wait, that was Lightning Man. <laughs> Lightning Man? So wait, this was, was in Oklahoma that you? It started in Oklahoma. My family took a family. Oh, my family took a family trip. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, <laughs> my family took a trip to Oklahoma just to hang out with my grandparents one summer. And on the way, there was a guy up on a power line. It's probably just a maintenance guy. But I only oh, no. got I only saw him out of the corner of my eye, and I don't know if he's wearing a helmet or something. But that's where it started. I claimed that I saw Lightning Man up on a power pole, <laughs> and then after that, it was just saw him everywhere. How old were you? Was it a uh, six twenty five? Okay, <laughs> that was, was just last year. That was yesterday. <laughs> I, he's sitting right next to me. I've just grown to love him. <laughs> David is Lightning Man. Hashtag David, David is, is li- confirmed. <laughs> David is Lightning Boy. If anything. Oh my god. All right, David, um, what is something that absolutely frightened you when you were younger? I mean, I don't like heights, so, uh, but aside from that, I, I remember my parents had rented a movie, and uh, I guess they didn't, like, think about, like, me being really young, because the movie was The Mummy. Oh, no. And I was, like, five or six years old. The Scorpion King? And... No, the mummy. <laughs> the, the one with Brendan Fraser? The legend yeah. Brendan Fraser? Yeah, the one with Brendan Fraser. Oh, I love him. And, what a hunk, dude. And I was just like pooping my pants the whole movie. <laughs> oh, that's so much poop. Because it's. Wow. You know, I'm just like a little kid and I believe everything that's in it. So I believe, you know, all the zombies are real. All those, the, the little scarabs? bugs were the worst. They, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. And so good. I think. I. I think that may have like tied into like me already not liking bugs because uh, I'm allergic to wasps and I almost died to one. <laughs> so the those scarabs, like the fact that they like crawl under your skin and like go and eat your brain from the inside, like that <laughs> that just terrified me and I couldn't sleep for like a week. Oh, so for me, I mean. This is embarrassing, but my real legitimate fear was pool vacuums. I was horrified (laughs) of what we called sucker machines, uh, where they would just (laughs) clean the bottom of the pool. But like, oh my God, I remember just looking down, I'd see them in the depths and it'd be horrifying. It's like a kraken down there. And, you know, some of them look normal, like little just boxes that roll around on the bottom. But some of them Mm -hmm. look like like massive leviathan bugs that just have all these weird spikes on them and like my grandma's house had one of those and i was just horrified like i would just stay away from the deep end because that thing i'm afraid i'm gonna get sucked into it and just, <laughs> <laughs> wait so it's gonna be like um in the end of alien 3 when the alien gets sucked through the hole in the glass yeah, and like yep. that's you being yeah. <laughs> sucked into mm-hmm. the pool vacuum yeah. okay i did the math <laughs> Ugh. are you still afraid of them oh no it's not lightning <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh. <laughs> hey don't be don't don't talk about him that makes him real 
Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode 18, The Paladin. Jake, what is Paladin? The Paladin is the best class in 5th edition's Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it just is. Oh, why do you say down. that? Why do you say that? Dude, I love, love love the paladin because because a lot of different players have a lot of different things that give them enjoyment in the game but the paladin's got something for everyone right like it's it's really mm-hmm. mechanically strong for like kind of your munchkin min maxers oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but on the other side it's also um there's a lot of super good role play potential with the interaction between your uh god that you worship between the oath that you have to uphold um and between maybe the order of, of paladins that you're a part of like there there's stuff for everyone so i i hmm. honestly think that the paladin is my favorite class dang i i think the paladin is the best class in D. wait a minute it sounds Whoa. like you're agreeing with jake i am <gasps> jake jake is wow. right and see, that's time. the point that's the point is that me and david play completely different games and we both agree because we're we come at it from different perspectives but all the aspects it, it's good. There's fun for everyone in the Paladin. Mm-hmm. There's it offers so much versatility in terms of what you can do, healing, damage, um, just other spells that you can cast, and then it also has amazing roleplay opportunities, which is great for people like Jake who really want to have a story-driven game. Even in just the name Paladin, it carries a lot of role-playing weight like it yeah. captures your imagination in a way where um if i said i want to be a fighter that's so broad like well are you a boxer or i think you of a rocky soldier? you know when i think of really, fighter i think of rocky yeah 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 and i think that a lot of people would be right there with you but a paladin i think is a very specific oh, yeah set of fantasies that all go very well together because yeah. you're Huge like armor, Avenger, you've got armor glowing. awesome weapons magic like but also this yeah. morality and the system of um uh, I don't even doing know. the right thing, and, kind and of like Superman. That's really good. Yeah. Truth, justice, the in a lot of ways. Way. Yeah, without yeah. flying. Well, well, I mean, until the I, until cast, you get to but... high level. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I think the main aspect of a paladin is um, their oath, um, and they really push that in Five E. Is kind of like that's the that's your subclass is what oath you swear. Um, but a lot of times, I think of a paladin as more as like connected to a deity because the whole thing of an oath is you can't have an oath in a vacuum. The oath has to be sworn to someone. Um, and so with all the subclasses that are the different oaths that the paladin could take, they're all sworn to someone. So it could be, you know, a god of war, where you're just like this this crazy vengeance warlord um, paladin, like conquest paladin. Or it could be to a standard lawful good god, um, where you're just trying to do the right thing and protect the realm. <clears throat> Um, it could be to yeah. We'll get into all these subclasses later, but but the oath has to be to someone, and so that that I love that role playing potential of like whenever you make a promise to someone, there's an automatic tension of like oh I gotta try to not break that promise, and that's what I love about yeah. the paladin. Maybe more even than the cleric, the paladin mm-hmm. requires gods in your world, and yeah. um, I think because of the oath it. Push, it pushes the gods closer into the game. Like um, they're more accessible in the role play than even the cleric, um, because you have to have the specific oath to the specific person. Um, is it possible to have an oath to a non deity inside the game? I'm yes. actually asking. To a non deity? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, to a king or something. I mean, um, yeah. You to gain powers. Yeah. That almost. Hmm. 
I I think it's absolutely. An, I think yeah, I think that's something that you could do. I I don't think that's something that's built in directly to the paladin class as it is, but it's something that you can easily change um and do for yourself just like you can have all sorts of weird patrons for the warlock um that aren't the ones that are listed as patrons. You can also do the same thing with paladin from what I assume. Mm. It just yeah. depends upon I think the nature of the character that they are swearing an oath to if they are like lawful or good because i think of the neutral. one like uh oath of the ancients um i'm currently doing a post-apocalyptic campaign and one idea that one of my characters had was a, a oath of the ancients paladin that was basically trying to bring back the greenery and trying to fight against the wasteland and kind of the radioactive uh, fey mushrooms that are kind of awesome. poisoning everything and so that oath of the ancients paladin they're the, in this world, all the gods, like the heavens have fallen and all mm -hmm. the gods are dead. And wow. so like, like you, you can still have this innate magic that's still like a residue in the world that they can gain power from. Um, but then there's, there's more role play stuff. Cause it's like, okay, if you go into the desert, you can't really summon your magic to cast smite or something because you don't have any power to draw upon. So I think you can be more creative with it, and it's much harder. Um, but I think paladins can exist uh, without a god. But I think the, all the role, the good, juicy roleplay stuff that I love comes from, like, another sentient, like, being that is kind of a negotiation. Hmm. I really like the idea of the uh, Mad Max uh, ancient. Cause no, makes, man. It's like in Wally when the whole um, the whole earth is not green and they're just searching for one growing plant because yeah. it's mm -hmm. safe to come back. Um Mm -hmm. so there's something cool about paladins that i like and that is the implication of an order or a uh, organization of other paladins mm -hmm. uh, through which they're getting this training and they have very specific missions or um, ideals that they're bringing into the world so what are some ideas for these orders um in my world i use the very basic um order of the gauntlet um and i have basically the empire in my world has uh, they they usually worship Arion, who is the god of righteousness and light, and is basically a lawful good god. Mm -hmm. um, and the Order of the Gauntlet includes almost all, not not all, but like a decent amount. Um, like if you see a monk or a cleric or a paladin in the world, most likely they are part of the Order of the Gauntlet. Hmm. So they're all trained for different things. So clerics are kind of trained as like magic field medics. Uh, paladins are kind of trained as almost like Jedi to go out and solve disputes and have this, you know, wield this immense power and make sure there's justice in the realms. And then monks are kind of these uh, creative, uh, almost specialist types that they send in to solve more complex problems. Uh, but the Order of the Gauntlet is kind of what does all of that stuff in my world so if anyone says i want to be a paladin like standard it's like okay yeah you're going to be part of the the order um would, would there be room in your organization for a divine pact warlock mm -hmm. uh yes oh yeah absolutely um <sighs> i think especially later as the order starts to be reformed and some weird stuff starts happening because um, you can technically also be a vengeance paladin um, you know, like, say, the Order of the Gauntlet, there's, like, this big thing where maybe giants come down from the hills and slaughter all these gnomes in these villages. Then the Order would go, okay, we have all these Oath of Vengeance paladins that we will send there because we need their divine wrath to bring justice to the, you know, because of the death of these gnomes and the, the, the senseless slaughter. And they need to push back 
the giants. And so they kind of have different it's, – it's, it's very bureaucratic and they have, you know, different – of people for different tasks and the different classes are sent on different missions. Uh, but yeah, it's very, it's a very big part of my world. So you're saying that within one, one organization, you have all the different oaths? Uh, not all of them. Um, I don't think an oath of conquest would fit. Um, and an oath of ancients would be a maybe. Um, but like the, the pacifist paladin or like, especially oath of devotion, oath of the crown, um, oath of uh, vengeance all fit in like a glove to this kind of bureaucratic peacekeeping order. Because <clears throat> I always imagined that different organizations would have different types of paladins, but I really like what you're positing, mm -hmm. Jake, where you have one big organization and then almost branches like um, the FBI versus the NSA yeah, or yeah. Uh, something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking about um, you could have different orders run by different um, countries where... They serve a god in order to gain that god's power. So you would have mm. one country would be uh, the Oath of Vengeance Paladins, and that would be kind of their military and where they draw their strength from is from like a god of vengeance mm -hmm. because they they need someone to compete with the other rival gods in the world who are the other factions who are drawing power from these different gods. So that that's how they get their... Um, I guess, I guess strength and mm, in power and power. I'm really excited for the potential world building opportunities. Like we always, mm -hmm. or, I always realize this when we're reading through the class descriptions where the, the existence of a class in your world precludes the existence of certain types of world building that you must do. Yeah. Like having a paladin. Now we have factions and we have these different mm -hmm. oaths and um, even factions within a pantheon factions. of gods. Yeah. Right, like you have to have gods in D anD D, um, and and at least define how they interact with mortals. I think the great thing about the paladin is, I mean, we've we've already mentioned, but just all these hooks. Like all of us are talking about some kind of very different things, but all of us are just nodding our heads and being like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the paladin, and so <laughs> yeah. it's so cool that it, this this class can be so robust and can work in so many different worlds. Um, and inspires certain world building and faction creating. Um, yeah, I, I think another th cool thing about the Paladin is there's almost um, an arc built into most of them where they either have a quest to complete or an injustice to avenge. Um, like they, they almost have a built-in arc in that they have to complete this quest. And so when the Dungeon Master is like building the campaign or thinking about different uh, plot points to put in like the paladin is kind of front and center with like um their personal story affecting the plot what do you guys think oh no i totally agree i think that that's um it has it has a way that it automatically is already tied into the world just because of what type of paladin you choose and how they how they got there mm -hmm. and i think that's really cool i think one of my other favorite things about the paladin is that it's it's very defined. So the the paladin is someone who, you know, they, they swear an oath to a god and a certain kind of style, you know, vengeance, peace, whatever. And then they also, um, they're also, you know, highly trained using magic and healing and all of that. But the paladin isn't necessarily easy to get mixed up with other classes. It's like it has its boundaries and it's like this is a paladin and you know exactly what it is and it, it does these things. And I, I think that it's nice that it has very definitive boundaries. Yeah, I think the Paladin um, 
has become almost a trope in like pop culture and like especially mm-hmm. within geekdom like people know what a paladin is I, I think i'm so drawn to the paladin because the first time i ever started playing world of warcraft i picked the paladin and i that's all i played the whole time i played wow was like and i just i loved it right because it was so like you feel like you're the good guy and it's like mm-hmm. okay justice like oh i'm you know doing righteous holy damage and and all this stuff it just felt so cool um but if you look at real world um counterparts it's pretty hard to to find anything like the paladin you know unless you look at like maybe the knights templar yeah, or something like that even then not really yeah and it's that's not mm-hmm. a good comparison really and so but the paladin for most you know geeks or nerds or whatever everyone's like oh yeah a paladin like it's not even a question and i think that speaks to kind of the i don't know the building of these cliches uh from you know when dungeons and dragons first started or role-playing games first started coming on the scene uh, that the paladin became this cliche but that cliche turns uh into what we call lawful stupid um, so we have to talk about this. What do you guys think of the the cliche, the trope that that paladins are just these knights in shining armor that have to be good old fashioned boy scouts uh, that have to be lawful good and will kind of um, break down the nuance of the party? What do you think of lawful students? So I'm always really frustrated by this idea. Um, I've seen it in a couple live streams and a few podcasts where it's like, oh, this guy's playing the paladin. And so all he does is annoyingly loudly pray for people um or uh, run around and like be offended by small infractions um, of his beliefs and i think this came from um arthurian legends where you have like these children's books written um based on the the real i mean real legends right like whatever Mm -hmm. that means um that are very stripped down and the knights are this embodiment of just goodness and they, they don't do bad things. They don't drink or smoke or, or do any Written by bad good things. Christian authors, yeah. Yeah, right. But then I think there's been a cartoonization maybe of that type of character of this knight who's just this bumbling doofus. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, if Monty Python and the Holy Grail has to do with that. Um, but I, I, can, I can think of cartoons um, like DuckTales, like stuff in the 80s, where they had this bumbling idiot character. And somehow this got attached to the idea of a paladin being like so morally good, but um, like they have no street smarts. They have no idea yeah. how to behave in the real world that they be, they're just very silly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I personally just detest the entire trope because I think it's shallow and it's uncreative. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's almost an example of what I like to call reverse outrage, uh, where this happens a lot on social media. Uh, you'll see one comment um, on, let's say on Facebook, and it has a bunch of angry reacts, and it goes right to the top just because the most people reacted to it because it was the most absurd comment. And mm. then in your mind, you think, oh, everyone thinks the way that the top comment does, even though that is just a very small, absurd subsect of what humanity really is. That's what we see. Mm. And so th- I think this paladin trope of lawful stupid has come from reverse outrage because the more I think about it, like everyone's like, oh yeah, lawful stupid, haha, you want to be a lawful stupid paladin. I can't think of a good example of a lawful stupid. Like, like I can't think of a big pop culture hero that is lawful stupid. Like it it isn't as common as our outrage seems to have us all believe, right? 
Well, I think mm-hmm. it's uh, almost, well, I don't know if this is true, but it seems that this exists exclusively inside D&D because mm. you have the chance to to play like this. Because you're right, I can't point to any specific like knight in shining armor who's also um, Patrick Warburton's, uh, what's it, uh, Kronk, right? <laughs> yeah. Basically Kronk yeah. in armor. The closest thing that I could think of is Shazam. Oh, yeah. That's but, a like, good one. even then. But he's like, a child, and that's child. why, yeah. And he's just more like idealistic and hopeful so maybe what we're really seeing here is people who are not good at understanding why people are the way they are and they see this idealistic mm-hmm. hopeful almost like childlike uh wonder mm-hmm. in a person and they reduce that to mean oh they must be stupid naive yeah and, yeah, and yeah. naive yeah so maybe that's the issue is that people don't really understand what it means to be um a, a moral soldier and a, and a tenant for mm-hmm. for good huh i'll be honest like, I've played a paladin before, and I've had other people play paladins in my games, and I've never encountered the lawful stupid trope where they're just, they are a bumbling buffoon. Yeah. I've, I haven't had that happen to me. And, and until you brought it up, like, I didn't really know about its existence. So, for me personally, it's just, it's it's kind of something that people just make up to complain about the paladin, I guess. Yeah, well, it... it- it bums me out because that that you know cliche is real, and so whenever someone goes, "I want to play a paladin," they don't want to be a standard devotion good guy paladin, even though that could be a really cool character. They're mm-hmm. always they and my players are extremely guilty of this. They'll run straight to the gray because they're like, "I don't want to be some morally upright you know guy that can't really flex you know and and make really dramatic moments like no they're like we all want to be really crazy in-depth well-written game of thrones characters and so like people run from this like knight in shining armor good guy even though that could still be a cool character so i think sometimes in dungeons and dragons it's okay just relish in kind of the cliche of what you're doing or just like the 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 trope um of, of what you're doing because Sometimes they they work for a reason. And like it's cool to have a paladin show up and he's on this white horse, maybe a pegasus, and he's like, "Have no fear. The paladin order will protect you." And you can go, "Yeah, that's that's okay. That's cool." And that could be interesting to have your order where some of the the paladins are um obnoxious in the sense that they <laughs> do talk in a certain way or they believe that they have to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm reminded, um, I know that my brother-in-law listens to this podcast, and he would want us to talk about, um, there's a book series that he loves called The Dresden Files. It's like oh, a urban yeah. fantasy yeah, yeah. series. Yep. And they say there's a character in that, uh, his name is Michael Carpenter, and he is the um, the opposite of the lawful stupid paladin. But he embodies that lawful goodness, but he has, um, from what I understand, really good reasons and convictions for um, embodying what he does yeah mm-hmm. so, i mean i wish we, i had read it but i've heard that he's a great character as well <laughs> yeah so oh. that is uh i guess if you want an example of that go read the dress or you, a good example would be uh, uh kronk and shining armor uh, <laughs> which could be fun i think in, in certain games it could be fun oh, i would yeah. probably have a um hireling paladin who's just oh my <laughs> gosh um but that would depend heavily on the how's everybody the doing today we got a paladin in the house <laughs> <laughs> oh okay well i mean that's gonna be a character I i'm sold <laughs> forget what i said i actually approve of this specific lawful stupid 
So now it's time to talk about some of the core features of the Paladin class. So William, what are some of the main features that you'll have as a Paladin? So when I was prepping for this episode, I went through everything that D&D Beyond has um, on the Paladin. So everything that's ever been written for them officially. And I've learned a lot. So I, I think Paladin is a class I had read the most of. And I was still finding new things. So in brief, um, they are a destroyer of evil. They do this mechanically by giving them divine senses. They can detect evil. They are also immune to disease. Great. If you're going to go through the jungles of Chults oh. in Tomb of Annihilation, bring a paladin because they are just immune to disease. They did. And they did. <laughs> my, my group has not. Um, no, we have a paladin. Wait, do we? Yeah. Oh. Oh, you but just, they, they you only, didn't realize. They only found out he was yeah, immune they, to disease. They just found out that he could cure disease and... Uh, was immune to disease the last session. And he spent a huge amount of money and inventory space on bug spray before oh. the adventure. And then he's like, oh, wait, I don't even need it. Wait, um, so do you, okay, this brings up a question. Do you guys, if someone has a power that they're not using, uh, do you as a dungeon master go, hey, remember, bud, you got you got this power? Or do you just keep the game going and be like, when they find out they can detect evil, then they'll start doing that to, to the NPCs. I, I so if it's really bad, like they're in a fight and they have some damage reduction that they're not using, then I might say, wait a minute, don't you have that? But by and large, Jake, um, I don't know every feature every character has. And so I tell players, you are responsible for remembering yeah. your abilities. And if you forget, then we will fix it in the future, but we will not retroactively fix anything. Yeah, I agree with that. too much. Yeah. No. Okay, so uh, Detect Evil, Immune to Disease, and they have an ability called Channel Divinity. And as we get into the uh, different oaths, you'll see that that means different things for the different... Can we, can uh, we talk about uh, d- divine or Detect Evil uh, for a bit? Oh, um, yes. What is the wording in the book? Because I know I it do up? it a little differently. Um, and so I'd love to see... Because it be kind of feels like a cop-out a lot of times. And a paladin can essentially ruin good roleplay encounters if he can just magically detect. Okay, so I'm you know. reading from the player's handbook. This is under the core class features for the paladin. It says, Divine Sense. The presence of strong evil registers on your senses like a noxious odor, and powerful good rings like heavenly music in your ears. As an action, you can open your awareness to detect such forces. Until the end of your next turn, you know the location of any celestial fiend or undead within 60 feet of you that is not behind total cover. You know the type, celestial fiend or undead, of any being whose presence you sense, but not its identity. For instance, the vampire, Count Strahd von Zerovich, for instance. Within the same radius, you also detect the presence of any place or object that has been consecrated or desecrated as with the hallow spell. You can use this feature a number of times per day equal to one plus your modifier. Wow. So I actually made it better. (laughs) So what what did you do, Jake? So so I make them roll. um, They can choose between just doing a standard roll uh, or they can add their arcana to it. And they roll. They do this. um, And then they, uh, if they roll high enough, can detect the alignment of the person they're talking to. Um, And if they roll low, they just don't get anything. Um, And then kind of in the middle, I'll give them, you detect a little bit of chaotic or, you know. So, yeah, I I just like, because, you know, you guys know I love alignment. Um, So I'll kind of give them little tidbits that kind of hint them along, uh, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just saying, like, oh, the guy you're talking to is chaotic evil, Um, even though he's maybe the baron of the whole land. Um, Yeah, I just kind of, I guess I buff it. I thought I was nerfing it because maybe this is uh, from the older editions where you could just kind of snap your fingers and be like, good guy, bad guy. Um, And it kind of would just eviscerate 
roleplay encounters because you could just kind of go through and like slice your way magically by detecting who are the good guys in the room, who are the bad guys in the room. And it was just, yeah. There was a spell called uh, Detect Evil or Sense Alignment, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, that one actually would give you the, it, it behaved the way you're making this feature mm-hmm. behave. Yeah. But that's not even 5e as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is um, the Destroyer of Evil that's embodying the fantasy. Next, they have the Blesser of Allies. That's what I'm calling it. That's because they have Lay on Hands, Mm -hmm. and they have um, Auras. And an Aura is just sort of like Mm -hmm. a a, a holy... um, I don't know what you call it. (laughs) That's an Aura. It it radiates out from you, and it affects (laughs) Mm -hmm. your um, allies. Yeah, it's not good to define uh, words with themselves, is it? (laughs) It's just like like a... magical i don't want to say barrier but it is like it's something that permeates from you radiates out yeah Yeah. like you're you're radiating different types of magic yeah lay on hands i feel like is a super cool feature because it's just like an emergency heal like Mm -hmm. um it's hard to kind of spec into a paladin as like a pure healer um i guess you could do it i've never seen that um but like the lay on hands is just like it it's such an it's such a good emergency thing um, and, and I've seen it used for like very, very uh, strategic ways. Like, like I've seen it almost in horrific ways where like the Oath of Vengeance Paladin will like start torturing someone and then we'll lay on hands them to get them back oh my up gosh. and then we'll just repeat that process until they get the information they want. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the most Paladin, oh, Vengeance Paladin thing I've seen someone do. Um, but yeah, I love lay on hands because it's such a emergency like good thing in their pocket that you can trust for them to use in addition to healing hit points it can also remove diseases and poisons mm-hmm. um and there are uh what a couple of days ago in our last session of tomb of annihilation the players came across a camp um of a bunch of order of the gauntlet guys and all of them are either sick in bed because of disease or oh, they're just yep. covered in poisons and and like they're sick they're just not well off yeah and what i didn't expect is that they spent two two or three days at the camp healing every single person and removing every single disease from the people. While the, the death curse mm-hmm. was ticking them off each time? Yes. Wow. Like, they're just so eager. You guys must um, have a nicer party than us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was surprised. But I got to see the effectiveness of lay on hands for just cleansing poisons. Because you only have to expend five hit points um, worth of healing from your pool mm-hmm. to, uh, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So that is the... Uh, Lay on hands. And then we'll talk about RS coming up. Um, next is the Powerful Warrior. You get this with fighting styles and multiple attacks. Uh, so in, in some ways, a paladin is like a fighter, but I think they're maybe... Well, I don't know if they're as good as a fighter necessarily, but they have so many more tricks to do, yeah. especially when you get to smiting, smite spells. Um, they're just powerhouses. Guys, paladins are the perfect class. They're a little uh, OP sometimes. They're, they're really good. They, and they're good at what they do. They're not. What's the perfect class, David? What's the perfect class? Yeah. What do you mean by perfect? Well, well, so he's just, like, you... it doesn't exist. <laughs> I haven't created it yet. The perfect class doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, okay, so I said the paladin's perfect. You said it's really good, but uh-huh. it's not perfect. So what, in your opinion, would, would be perfect? Ooh. It's going to drop you Ooh. like that. Why you got to do me dirty like that? Pull the lever, crunk. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The paladin is a perfect class. Okay, now we're talking. So, in in my opinion, it does 
everything that a class should do. It has, you know, really unique and cool abilities. It has great storytelling opportunities within the class built into it. It has utility. It has um, a great, like, essence for, like, what it is as a just this strong warrior defending an alignment. So in that sense, it is a perfect class because it, it does what it's meant to do and it does it really well. Mm-hmm. But it I don't think it's the perfect class in that it does everything that a class could possibly ever do. Wait, so what? it doesn't it's what? not a it's not a, like a one one stop shop. One stop shop for everything because in it's a D&D. class. I mean you can't yeah. have a <laughs> yeah. single wait, wait. Okay, so it sounds like David, you're saying that to be a perfect class, it would have, have to, to be, be capable of doing literally anything in the game so expertly the, well. Oh wait, hold on. Yes. The dungeon master is therefore the perfect <laughs> class. <laughs> exactly. Oh. I always suspected. I always suspected. Oh, man. Okay, that was a fun little uh, diversion. Uh, So you get fighting style. Uh, When you hit second level, you choose either uh, defense, dueling, great weapon fighting, or protection. Um, So that's nice. You just get to choose how you want to be. I think you should probably choose either defense or protection because all the paladins I see are tanks. Oh, really? front line. Oh, yeah. The paladins I've seen have been just real heavy damage dealers. Sluggers. If you choose great weapon fighting, it's so good because... Yeah. Let's say you're let's say you're fighting with like a great axe, which rolls a D twelve. When you roll a one or a two, you get to re roll it. Yeah. And because you're rolling a D twelve, that's just gonna increase your average. It's like having advantage on damage rolls. So um almost. I uh I this is a sidebar. Um speaking of D twelve damage on a mm. weapon, um are you familiar with Mike Merle's Greyhawk initiative that he came up with a couple months yes. ago? Yes. Okay, so I've been reading up on it because initiative is um, kind of a miniature hobby of mine where I'm trying to figure out like the best way to handle it because I think that the rules as written in 5e are trash. Because, wow. Well, just because like, oh, roll initiative and everybody rolls and you write it down and you go down this list. Like, it's just not very interactive. It's not very, um, it's not where I want it to be. So I was reading about Greyhawk Initiative and then I read somebody's comment like on the Reddit page where it was and he said, instead of doing all the crap Mike did, Mr. Merles. Um, <laughs> Mark Merles. <laughs> he said, you should just have weapon speed be determined by your damage die. And instead of counting up to 20, like is the best initiative, now you'd say one is the highest initiative. And so um, if you're attacking with a dagger, you roll like a D4. So you're going to be attacking faster. And if you're swinging a great sword that's a D12, most likely you'll wind up lower in the initiative order. And I thought that was a really just clean way to um, capture the feeling and change the decisions people might make about what weapon they're rolling for that round. Huh. That's you, interesting. You're going to have multiple. Yeah, I, I haven't I, tried it yet. Yeah, that's just a little too much math for me. I, I just like giving them the option of like, you can either use your dex modifier for your initiative or your intellect. Um, oh. Because I like the idea of a really smart person being able to figure out how to go quicker. Um, Why wouldn't it be wisdom? Because wisdom is more like perception and it's very sensory. Well, I'm going like to have to cancel be... my game. I don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just curious. <laughs> He's texting his group now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Let's see, guys. David, my initiative David house broke. Dave, David fatal broke fatal the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so I like that idea just because it um, dexterity is such a good stat already. and um, For almost every class. Um, but I think wis- or intellect also is, and wisdom is not. So I think if you did wisdom as an option for initiative. Wait, what? I disagree. I think oh, wisdom okay. is 
Better than intellect. Speaking For of most classes, paladin. Yeah. Which classes have higher? Because any spellcaster is going to use intellect. No. Just the cleric. The uses only oh, the the no only the wizard uses intellect. Yeah, and the cleric so, uses wisdom. The cleric uses wisdom. Druids Pal- use wisdom. Rangers no, use no, no, no. Wisdom. Paladins use charisma. I said rangers use wisdom. Clerics use wisdom, and um, monks use wisdom. Hmm. Uh, uh, so in that case, I'm just going to agree with Jake and say use intellect because <sighs> my whole go. point was <laughs> okay. My whole point was just like um, for dump stats, making yeah. people have to decide yes. where yeah. they want that dump stat to go instead of being mm-hmm. an automatic. Decision. Intelligence is normally the dump stat of of five e unless you're a wizard. Like that's true. All right, yeah. So I'm I'm right there with Jake. Yeah, <sighs> feels good to win again. Uh, we're all <laughs> we're all winning in this one. Paladins oh, are great. Uh, the last core feature we're going to touch on is backup healer. Um, Jake, you pointed out that maybe they could be main healer, but I've never seen that. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Well, cause see, you Maybe. don't really. It's not like like World of Warcraft where you yeah. have to have okay. a tank, a DPS, True. and a healer. So, like, yeah, if you don't have a healer, um, they can work as the healer, but they're not going to be, you know, sitting in the back, casting exclusively healing spells. But I think they're they can the work m- as an effective combat healer. Yeah. yeah, they're not the most effective, but they still do a lot more than other classes in terms of healing. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm going to ask David about Smite. Do you have stuff to say about that? Uh, what do you want to know about it? So just explain, because I didn't know this until I played um, like three campaigns ago, and they were using all these different awesome Smites. Do you have anything interesting to say on it or no? Um, I mean, Smite is cool if you want to do more damage and have some sort of extra effect. It kind of reminds me of the the martial fighter where you can impose different effects on your attacks whereas this is like you get different divine effects from your attack so you can knock someone down you could just do a bunch of extra damage can't you make them afraid yeah you can you can like fear them you can Mm -hmm. um oh a wrathful smite puts you into frightened Mm -hmm. um there's some that mark them i think branding does that let me check Oh, they, just can't, they can't run away. Yeah, and they, they can't, can't become, become invisible. invisible, which is useful if you know that the uh, character has invisibility. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that blind. It's th- They have a lot of utility in what they can do to certain enemies. I imagine like blinding a beholder, that oh. would be very useful. Yeah, wow. So That's cool. So it's just some more uh, tricks in their bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I think paladins can also use spell slots just to boost their damage flat. Yes. Paladins have a, an ability built into their kit. It's called divine smite. So instead of using a spell to, or a spell slot to cast a spell, they can use a spell slot to add extra damage to their attack. So it is 2d8 for the first level spell slot and then 1d8 for each spell slot higher than the first. Wow. So you can do a lot of extra damage, and it increases by an extra d8 more if the target is undead. So at first level, if you're fighting an undead and you use Divine Smite, you get an extra 3d8 damage hmm. to that attack roll, That's which crazy. potentially is a lot of damage. Well, it potentially ruins undead as enemies. What do you guys think about this? Because honestly, if, if you're trying to build an encounter... Um, if you have undead enemies and there are, let's say, two paladins in the party, it's like, okay, I got to double my enemies to make this fair. Because, like, 
they're uh, they can just cut through undead like a good god through butter. My and, question is for you is why is that a problem? Oh, it's not a problem, but it does. Because it's almost like if it's weird to have a game like Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, yeah, everyone's pretty balanced and fair, and then it's like, oh, but I'm really good against the. You know, it it basically be like, um, you know, this monk subclass is super good at fighting frogs. Like it would just be like <laughs> what? Like it would just Call be like frog fighter, and, and it makes sense thematically. So, but it is well, kind I mean, of I don't know. It's you do have to take that in account when building undead encounters when there's a paladin present. Should you should classes not shine specifically in certain situations? Oh no, I think they should because um, I think that's where the strength of a class comes from. I think that the paladin, like being very holy, like they would detest something that is undead, and they should be able to just destroy them very easily. Like oh, that yeah. is something that they should thrive in. They see an undead, they're like, yes, I can destroy that. No, I love Whereas that. I, I just think you should take mm-hmm. it into account when you're building your encounter oh, as yeah. opposed to like mm-hmm. like just treating it like, oh, yeah, they're just a normal person. It's like, no, they can cut through these things like a yeah, lightsaber. They, <laughs> like, yeah, they, they yeah. just slice through. <laughs> I know um, – yeah, each – I know a lot of a lot of classes have that where they, they have specific – creatures which they're just really good against or like they, the favorite have... terrain of rangers and stuff yeah yeah i think ranger does that really well and mm-hmm. i can't wait to talk about them mm. because they have i love their aspect of like having a specific beast that they're just like yeah i i i, I can hunt that guy yeah vampires i got them yeah <laughs> i got them um as for like undead I, I mean even if you have clerics in the party and they could turn undead that's a consideration you have to make um i I forget who it was. Maybe it was somebody on a blog, and they said they um, they threw a massive encounter with a bunch of like CR one quarter zombies, uh-huh. and the cleric just turned them all and killed like three hundred zombies in a round. <laughs> and he was like, "Well, the encounter is gone." Um, but once again, I would argue the balance of D and D doesn't exist, and that goes yeah. both ways. Because um, like me personally, trying to make a world seem believable, and if there's just a crypt and you know there's undead there, then you're just gonna bring a paladin. Mm-hmm. Because they're better. Yeah. And if you're and if they're just like a thousand goblins, then bring a ranger with volley and just get it done. <laughs> the, get it done. Uh, Grinch the goblin killer. <laughs> uh, build a <laughs> campaign we'll around like around people for hire who just go and um, solve very specific problems oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. their group is good at solving. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I want to mention um, on D and D Beyond yesterday they posted an article all about ghouls and ghasts, and I. <laughs> You know, there's so much about D and D that I don't know specifically monsters, mm-hmm. um, and ghouls and ghasts have an ability called turn defiance, and they basically have resist. They have advantage on saving throws against turn undead effects. So um, I don't know if that works with the paladin necessarily, but you could just mix and match yeah. your undead because there's a lot of undead in this game. Oh yeah, surely you can find a way to challenge a paladin. Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah. All right. So as far as subclasses go for the paladin. They each have a different sacred oath that they make. And the first one is the Conquest Paladin. So, Will, what is the Conquest Paladin? The Conquest Paladin is someone who's made an oath to conquer and destroy. So I call this um, pushed too far because they seek to crush the forces of chaos really at any any cost. Um, I've written out the tenets on these so we can get an idea of the flavor of them. So um, every oath has... Um, different tenets, which are sort of like rules that they live by or, or a motto or however you want to think about it. So for conquest, they say, douse the flames of hope, rule with an iron fist and strength above all. 
Hmm. Like just with those tenants, you could build a faction that's really frightening. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I think of this, and I think of um, my my table has been talking about doing a level twenty one shot, uh, oh. just to see what it's like at level twenty. Because um, mm-hmm. my campaigns tend to to end in like the mid teens, because it just gets unwieldy at that high. Um, and so I think this is the top class and subclass, the conquest paladin that I would want to play at level twenty. Um, just to, cause it's all about the power, the strength above all the dominating your enemies. Um, I, I the, the final, the capstone ability for this class is called like the avatar of conquest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you just like destroy everything. Everyone is afraid of you. Um, yeah, this one is just, it's, it, it is frightening. Oh, so every paladin has an aura. And the aura of conquest from this, it says creatures that are frightened can no longer run away and they take damage just by being near you. So normally <laughs> frightened can be annoying because stuff kind of scatters away, but they actually just stay where they are, pee their pants, and then Coward. you walk up and kill them. Like this makes you, um, what are they called? Dark troopers from oh. Star Wars. Oh, like, yeah. Because <laughs> this is the Empire. Like Douse the Flames of Hope, this is the Empire from Star Wars. And you just walk the battlefield, frightening everybody and just annihilating them. Strength above all. So I disagree because this class seems like it's like, oh, yeah, you want to be an evil paladin? Be conquest. While that is a natural path to take, obviously, um, I like the idea of a conquest paladin in a specific campaign being like lawful good. Um, Like imagine going into the Underdark. It would be great to have a conquest paladin that's ready just to slay all the evil things that are down there. Um, Think of like in terms of like Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Well, this conquest paladin could walk into Mordor and just kill everything in his path um, and be a good guy for doing it. So I, I don't like the idea of the conquest paladin being like, oh, that's the bad paladin. Like it can obviously be not obviously, but with some effort, it can it can be a good guy still. That's true. And I think that a faction, even if they embody these seemingly very scary um, tenants, um, I think that it would be a cool opportunity because no organization is made up of one person with one yeah. belief system. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it would be a great opportunity to um, push the moral quandaries out onto the players. Yeah. Where um, did you play that? You played um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, right? Oh, yes, I did. So uh, spoilers for a game from 2004 or something. What? Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, but there's a Fighter's Guild quest where they make you go out and annihilate this oh, village uh-huh. that's full of goblins. But before you do, they make you drink this this thing called Hist Sap. It's um, like a hallucinogenic drug. And they say all the warriors have to do it. So you take the drug, you go kill this goblin village, and you come back. But then later you find out that it wasn't a goblin village. It was just a village of people. And the hist sat made you hallucinate that they were goblins. And so they manipulated your morality to get you to do something that you would have never done. And it's this terrible, um, terrible realization. Oh, so I think man, you could definitely great. do that with this. Because you have good reasons for um, being a, a conquest yeah. guy. Like maybe it is a military your, faction. Your intentions um, are pure. But this is like, <laughs> uh, you know, Vietnam War stuff. Like you're having to do things that no human being should have to do. Yeah. Maybe I've gone off the deep end. Let's no, no, not for me. I love like, the, the, dude. I'm telling you, my players at my table are drinking up what you're saying because it's mm. like that kind of stuff is like, like you, their backstory is like I slaughtered a whole village and then found out it was my family. You know, like stuff like oh. that. And it's like, oh my god. 
<laughs> yeah, I um, I have an idea for a one shot where you have to go around. Um, it's in a world where magic is super controlled and very illegal. If you're not, in what the do they say? Academy With, or something. Have, have yeah, in the system. Um, and so the players have to go around and kill three different spellcasters, but every single one is a tightly orchestrated moral quandary. Oh, like there's there's no black and white. Like it is as gray as uh, I mean, there's about fifty shades of gray in this game. Wow, that's the right. <laughs> like, I would say fifty one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. So that is the conquest. Uh, we're just going to touch briefly on the rest of these. Um, next, you have the oath of devotion. I call this the White Knight. This, this is, is the Paladin's Paladin. This mm-hmm. is that Arthurian legend. Um, this is the Superman class. Their tenets are honesty, courage, compassion, honor, and duty. Yeah. So if you want to be a good boy, you should be a devotion. Do paladin. people avoid this, though? This is the one I was talking mm-hmm. about because they're like, I want to play kind of this crazy, cool paladin with all these twists and defiance of tropes. When it's like, dude, sometimes just like, I don't know. I want to see more of these in my campaigns, like just a standard mm-hmm. good guy, white knight devotion paladin um mm. yeah. but if my players don't then i'm just going to introduce kronk and shining armor and <laughs> he'll he'll fill that gap for me uh, <laughs> so yeah i would love to see somebody really play the devotion paladin and role play out what it means to be honest yeah. when you're in situations where that's going to be the harder thing to do yeah um, or have compassion for people who have no compassion for you like this could be really interesting i think in the right game with the right gm yeah. but in your average dnd game it's like oh well um i gotta be honest so i'm just gonna tell the mayor that we're lying to that we're actually lying to him and ruin the party's fun because i'm uh, lawful cronk <laughs> lawful cronk it's a t-shirt idea right there <laughs> um all right next we have the oath of redemption oh. this one I, i'm calling the semi pacifist yeah Our tenants are peace innocence patience and wisdom so maybe this is a little more of that eastern religion feel because it's, it's kind of zen very cool so um, i even wrote the spells they get sleep calm emotions hold monster and wall of force this is about stopping conflicts before they happen so you should never have to draw your sword in, a, yes. in this paladin's perfect world dude they do like really good non-violent damage and you can like knock out people really easily and i it's, there's something so satisfying i don't know if it's because i love superheroes um but like there's something satisfying about you know batman driving at the joker and the joker is just screaming at him to kill him and batman doesn't like mm. there's just something about that that is so good you know mm-hmm. um and i loved i now that i think about it i might want to do a level 21 shot as a redemption paladin oh, oh. like and you just trying to stop these you know demigods from fighting each other and like trying to do the right thing and like your ideals are held above everything oh i love this one I think if I was building the Redemption Paladin, I would um, boost up the stats I need for grappling. Because oh, yeah. I would just go into yeah. a combat, grapple the enemy, and then have everybody else Tie do non-lethal up. damage until they're unconscious. Yeah. You could even have the grappler feet. Yes. Yeah. Which makes you like a luchador Batman. <laughs> and, I, and I love the idea of at the end of a campaign going back to like a huge maybe like prison of like your kingdom or whatever. And just seeing all the enemies alive in prison. Oh. Like that would be so satisfying instead of That's like a cool. pile of corpses that a standard D and D party leaves in its wake. That's true. Wow, it's it's a subversion of the murder hobo, and I think. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I, I've never seen it played, um, and I've certainly never seen it played well. So before we talk about the next uh, subclass, let's just take a little break. Uh, it's been almost twenty episodes, and I think we're starting to hit our stride. Um, so if you guys are listening right now. 
we want to hear from you. Do you have any ideas for episode topics, any question vault questions, uh, any specific maybe subclasses you want us to dive into? Do you want us to talk about goblins, dice, maybe an episode called Dungeons Part 2? Let us know by emailing us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. Use the subject line topics. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get back to the episode. All right, next is the Oath of Ancients. This is the one that Jake mentioned earlier. I call it the Green Knight because this is like a druid and a paladin had a baby and you have a Oath of Ancients. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this Jake, one's cool. You want to read the tenants? Uh, yeah, so the tenants of the ancients are kindle the light, shelter the light, preserve your light, and be the light. Um, I love this one. This is very, um, like, an inspiring paladin. Like, like imagine if, like, you see a dragon attacking, uh, like, your small uh, woodland village, and then you just see this paladin come out. Maybe he, like, emerges from a tree, and he's got yeah. all of this, like, uh, you know, studded armor that's, like, made of, like, bark. Um, and he comes wood. out. Yeah, and he's got, like, like uh, flowers on him and stuff, and he's, like, glowing mm. with this just radiant, like, green energy. You'd be like... We, we we got a chance, you know. Like I I, I don't know. This one's really cool. Hmm. Um. So I don't know if you guys know that Matt Colville writes books. He writes fantasy fiction, mm-hmm. and I've actually read his first book, which centers heavily around a order of knights that live in this f- creepy fae forest that are green knights. Huh. And he really explores what it means for them to like tend the land in a world that's like this, um, as told from the perspective of a cleric with PTSD. And I, and I say that it sounds funny, but like it's no, really good. So that's I, I super recommend cool. that. Hmm. No, I love that. So that is the Green Knights. Um, all right, we're getting toward the end here. Next is the Oath of the Crown. Um, I call them Homeland Security. <laughs> this is the King's Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. Their tenants are law, loyalty, courage, responsibility. This is that. Um, what what is it? Uh, there's an actor who's in a bunch of movies and shows, and he always plays Nick this Cage. Generic. Oh, no, I wish. <laughs> he, he plays like a generic FBI guy who's always like a C-list character, and he just oh comes in gosh. and like you know escorts the main character back to the NSA. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is that guy. Like he just does the work for the government. This is like the blue collar paladin. Blue collar. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. The blue knight. <laughs> oh, look, okay. He has an ability called Divine Allegiance. It says when an ally takes damage, you take it instead. And I wrote, get down, Mr. President. <laughs> get down, Mr. President. <laughs> um, so I love this, um, especially in more urban settings. Uh, so say you're trying to apprehend criminals and the criminals are fighting back at you and guards are helping you and they're like killing guards you know, it's like, okay, we got to send in kind of the SWAT team. And so, like, these urban paladins, these Oath of the Crown paladins show up, and they're, like, the special forces or just, like, the, the military, like, paramilitary SWAT team that comes in mm-hmm. and and makes peace, often through extreme violence. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, I really like this, especially, like I said, in an urban setting. It's also important to note that these guys don't have an aura. They specifically don't. Oh, I didn't know that. That's paladin. cool. Yeah, so that I think that speaks to more of a organized like small army or a task like force. Guard. Yeah, yeah, because these aren't the one guy surrounded by regular soldiers. These are just sort of a higher ranked regular soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, um, and, and I really like it in regards to my world building with the uh, the Order of the Gauntlet. Um, with that, like there there will be Oath of the Crown paladins within there, and they're the ones that like in secret, if they're asked. Okay, you have to choose between the king 
and Arion, our god, which do you choose? And, like, they have to go, I will serve the king. Like, they're oh. the ones that are, like, if that choice, and hopefully it doesn't come to that, you know, the king worships Arion, everything's peachy, but if it comes to that, that mm-hmm. they would side with their king. They're more loyal. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really love um, kind of the political intrigue with that comes with this, because it's, like, there's, like, the holy religious deity aspect of it. Then there's also the the crown political like grimy uh real bureaucracy of it all and then you could be stuck in between that and sometimes mm. you have to pick and choose and have moral quandaries in between mm-hmm. oh, so good all right Hopefully um moving, so after the crown we have the oath of vengeance or judge dread oh. their tenants david read the tenants for us all right so their tenants are fight the greater evil no mercy for the wicked by any means necessary and restitution oh, i love this oh man mm. have you guys ever had one in your game no i think these are from xanathar's right no 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 vengeance is the, the main is, ones oh, yeah i was confused at the order we went in because we did conquest uh-huh. first which is xanathar's um yeah. uh devotion <laughs> devotion ancients and vengeance are the the normal ones mm-hmm. I, the three yeah actually i have had a paladin in my game who was this he went from um he called himself uh, Eadric the Pure. Um, he actually stole his name from a Hearthstone card. I later learned, so I was pretty mad. Um, <laughs> he, went, he went from Eadric the Pure to Eadric the Vengeful, I believe. Huh. Um, and he just kind of changed his character. I don't know. Um, in the story, there wasn't really enough time that had passed for him to really grapple with anything that had happened. It was like one day he just decided he was vengeful and uh, and just killed people. So um, yeah, it was it was okay. Uh, yeah, I I like this. I, I've had two or three Vengeance Paladins in my games, um, and I've got to tell the story of, of one of them, my first one. Uh, he basically started off as like kind of a Devotion Paladin, but then he's just like, okay, we got to stop this demon invasion and came more like he was the Vengeance Paladin. He had this big two-hander weapon and was doing a ton of damage. Um, and then he rolled two nat ones in a row. Um, and essentially a like mind flayer like sucked his soul out but then someone saved him and so at the last second his soul came back in but he like lost all his paladin powers um like that's when the god arion like like a like stopped giving him holy powers because she's like okay he's too far gone now um and so he made a deal with the pure neutral god of luck Kind of like this this Loki type god that gave all of his powers back, but instead they didn't do holy damage anymore. They did, I think, fire damage or something. Um, mm. So he switched and kind of had this like like moment where he had to choose. You know, like this god's coming up to him, flipping a coin in his dreams, and is like, you know, what kid? I'll help you out. Um, and it's kind of almost like a warlock, almost like a deal with the devil um, yeah. to get your powers back. Um, but it was his character was really really great because at the end he um, ended up surviving and going back and reforming the order of the gauntlet to be what it's supposed to be um, instead of this like lawful good kind of high horse thing um, and kind of balancing it out. So yeah, I love messing with people's oaths because I think oaths are there to be a tension point. And mm-hmm. if there's never a point where you go, oh no, I can't do that as a paladin, then I mean it's like mm-hmm. as a DM you point? should be. You should be testing them. You should be like, I'm going to try to take your oath away. I'm going to try to to tempt you. Um, and, and one of my characters did that um, in a really interesting arc. Um, 
so yeah, my vengeance paladins have been pretty pretty great. They're, they almost feel pretty standard, like they're almost conquest light paladins. Hmm. But I've found them great. That's really cool. Uh, the last one we have, um, I don't even know if it counts as an oath because it is an oath breaker paladin. <laughs> These are people who have failed and they are now beyond redemption. So mm -hmm. um, when I was researching this. I learned that it is possible for a paladin to break his oath and then regain it. Yeah. And the um, player's handbook, I think, has some tips for like here's the types of adventures you could run for a player to get his uh, his honor and his uh, magic back, his blessings back. Mm -hmm. But um, maybe if something catastrophic has happened in the life um, of this paladin, they become an oathbreaker, and it's, I mean, specifically they have no tenants and their spells are very dark. Um, they become almost like an entirely new class. Yeah. Um, because they have, like, for spells, inflict wounds, darkness, animate dead, and contagion. Mm. Like, these are just harming people and playing with the dead. Um, their channel divinity now controls undead instead of rebuking them. Oh, and um, there's also this very uh, hot topic type ability, like the, the mall store. It's called Dreadful Aspect. It says, channel your dark emotions into an explosion that frightens everyone within 30 feet. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, I've met teenagers like that. I do that all the time. <laughs> Um, speaking of teenagers, they have the aura of hate. Um, so the, pal <laughs> the paladin and any fiends and undead nearby gain a bonus to their melee weapon damage. So oh. their their little posse of creepy friends um, can just hurt you more. <laughs> well, and their their capstone ability is called Edge Lord. Oh wait, no, it's Dreadlord. Dreadlord. Sorry. Um, yeah, um, Aura of Gloom, they reduce bright light to dim, which is oh, weird. Oh, so edgy. Uh, they frightened, <laughs> frightened enemies that start their turn in the aura take a bunch of psychic damage. Creatures that rely on sight have disadvantage in the aura, and uh, the paladin can use a bonus action to make the shadows actually come to life and attack. Oh, this is uh, like the creature. goth knight. <laughs> the, the darkest knight. The gothest. Like, like, goth, um, the gothest knight. Th this one, this really reminds me of, I, first off, I think these make really good villains um, because they kind of have a tragic like fall from grace. Yeah. Um, and this also reminds me like from like a cultural character from uh, fiction. It's Sinestro from the oh, Green yeah. Lantern comics. He oh, was yeah. He was a Green Lantern, but then he saw that there'd be more power if he put on a yellow ring that controlled fear instead of willpower and so he used that fear to like manipulate and start fighting from a different perspective um so yeah that that really sinestro kind of reminds you that like that that top of the line good guy that falls from grace seeking power hmm. it would be cool um because I, I could see building some encounters around a person who just literally darkness is drawn to them yeah and and undead are drawn to them and so you would have um Almost like the, uh, what are they called? The the icy guys from Game of Thrones, the monsters in the north. The Ice King. Yeah, the Ice King. It's almost like that, but not necessarily with ice. But also the a little bit walk. of Arthas from Warcraft 3. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. And who Rich doesn't love King. that kind of Fall from Grace story yes. arc? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm. Um, and a lot of times, if you um, don't like your paladin, or maybe you just have a cooler character you want to play, a really good option, players, is talk to your dungeon master and be like, hey, my paladin, I'm kind of done with him. I want to play maybe this cool monk. Um, so could we have my paladin fall from grace and then be a bad guy we fight later? Um, and yeah, making an old character that was once one of your party members and potentially friends being the this this dreadlord oath breaker coming towards you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that there's so much drama there and so much cinematic stuff to work with. 
my brother Anakin. I loved you. So let's talk about adventure seeds. These are um, ideas of how to bring all this world building and lore from the class into the game. Anybody got ideas? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nope, yeah, yeah, I yeah, have yeah. zero. <laughs> So I think um, in my world with kind of the bureaucracy of the Order of the Gauntlet, um, I love giving any paladins my party or, or monks or clerics or whatever um, or <laughs> divine soul warlocks or divine soul sorcerers, whatever, that are part of the Order of the Gauntlet. Give them just mundane tasks to occasionally do. Um, like maybe a raven shows up and drops them a message that says the gauntlet requires you to apprehend this small criminal. And you're just like, ugh. Like a gnome? Um, <laughs> not literally small. He's just small. Or a halfling. <laughs> the, the letter like automatically answers the questions that yeah, people yeah. have. So not uh, literally small. <laughs> no, but I love having them do mundane missions just every once in a while. Um, and sometimes they're mundane, but sometimes they lead to much deeper and darker plot lines. Um, mm -hmm. As it should be. Yeah, yeah. And so I like having those adventure seeds of like, sometimes a paladin should feel, especially in a very bureaucratic like system type thing, like um, your paladin should feel kind of like a beat cop in the world. Mm -hmm. Like occasionally the paladin's going to have to roll his eyes and drag the drunkard out of the bar, even though that's just like that a bouncer should be doing that, but maybe the bouncer's drunk too. Um, and so that this <laughs> paladin is having to do kind of mundane stuff because it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah. and, and so I love having these kind of mundane missions interspersed that like the bureaucracy, the bureaucracies, like we need you to guard this jail cell for one night, got a dangerous criminal in there, you know, and it's like, okay, I guess I have to. <laughs> and, you know, those oftentimes feel like, I don't know, they, they feel kind of boring and bureaucratic, but having them mm -hmm. lead to more deeper and darker, mysterious things, I think is a, a good seed for paladins. Or even, like, I'm imagining, like, every town you go to, there's always people pestering you to oh, do yeah. stuff for them. Yeah. So it's just like, please, sir, heal my little sister. She's <laughs> dying. And he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go do this. Yeah, lay on hands. And, or, and people are just always pestering you about, like, doing things because they know that you'll do it. This guy comes, my mm. cat's stuck in the tree. Please help me, Mr. Paladin. <laughs> he just accidentally smites it out of the tree. Oh. <laughs> No, that's interesting because I like the idea of whenever you get into an urban setting, maybe you would have a list of like 50 annoying tasks that, that somebody approaches the paladin to do yeah. for them. Oh, yeah. And some of them, like you're saying, would go deeper and have intrigue and stuff attached to it. But by and large, it's like guard this jail cell or um, like go in this basement because somebody raised a bunch of undead down here. Like yeah. it'll take you 30 minutes. <laughs> um, just, and this just could be a way to just use up their resources and really make the paladin feel like they're part of a world that needs them. Yeah. Like every, everybody needs help. Yeah. And I think um, we oftentimes here at Vox Arcana like to get really deep and gritty um, with like like really specific, cool, wild plot lines and adventure seeds. But like oftentimes you can have a – say you're playing the, the Rise of Tiamat campaign. You could just have an Oath of Vengeance paladin that goes – I hate the dragon cult and I want Tiamat to not rise. Hmm. And like that is good, right? Like that's so simple mm -hmm. and it just keeps them hooked in. It keeps them like forcibly invested in the main plot line. Um, and it, it hooks them right in. That That's the thing. And like I said, why I love, love, love paladins is because they're kind of, they've got hooks built into the class. Um, another thing for dungeon masters to not forget is occasionally 
you know, when they're taking a long rest, have the god visit the paladin in a dream and say something to them. Say, I need hmm. you to do this, or there's a big decision to make, or I need you to see if you're truly loyal to me, and I need you to kill that NPC that's in your party. Whoa, like, wow. all of those things are, like, really good, and it makes them conflict with their oath. Um, and and also, Dungeon Masters can remember Paladins and the Warlocks as well, like, with their patron. This is a way that you can kind of get people back on track. Say you have a bunch of people in a dungeon that are just going off the rails and are completely lost and are going in circles. You can have, suddenly you feel your the aura of your god come upon you and you hear, go through the tunnel to the left. And, you know, it's like, okay, like this is kind of a way you can almost do a hand wave, um, uh, what do they call that? Uh, ex machina, uh, <laughs> deus ex machina, where like, you can get them on track with a little bit of a divine push. Um, there are just so many good ways that the dungeon master can interact with the paladin as a class. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there there are a ton of knobs that the DM can turn. Mm -hmm. that can really just draw the paladin into the game. Yeah, yeah. So, how would we improve the paladin class? I know I think it's pretty good, and I think we're all kind of on the same page. It's a pretty good class, but are there any Little tips and tricks to to make it shine and make it the best. How can you improve upon perfection? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that means we got to ask the question first. What are some areas that need help with the paladin? Like, because it seems it's pretty, uh, pretty good. A lot of the stuff is inherent. Like, you have to have an oath. You have to, for the most part, be part of an organization. All that stuff is almost written. I think. The main way is if you're playing a paladin, be ready to like have a lot going on. It's hard to be a paladin and sh be shy. Mm -hmm. mm. Imagine like a, a, a shy, introverted paladin. Yeah, who's just, I mean, it almost wouldn't work, right? Because if you're trained no. as a paladin, like your, your job is to intervene, do the right thing. Like you're going to be involved in situations and it's very hard for you to just be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to. You probably would have been kicked out of the order before you signed your oath. <laughs> He's too shy. <laughs> um, so actually, um, David just brought out Xanathar's Guide and there's a section in the book on page 36 um, that has some ways to add some spicy flair to your paladin. David, give us the rundown. So uh, first up, it has personal goals. So this is uh, kind of what your character would be trying to achieve as a paladin. So, uh, Jake, give me a number between one and six. Oh, definitely five. Five. So that is faith. So you know your path is righteous or else the gods would not have set you upon it. Mm. Ooh, so, so that is kind of a holier than thou feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think any of these can work with any of the oaths as well. So yeah. you could really uh, set oh, up play with them. Yeah. And you know and, and it's it's someone who would be very loyal to their god and very devoted to the path and it's like I've been chosen to do this. Yeah. This is this is kind of my destiny. All right, Jake, give us another uh, D6 roll. Oh, definitely too. Oh, okay. This is your symbol of your, um, what does it say? Paladins are mindful of the influence of symbols. It exemplifies your oath. Okay, so two is a clenched fist because you are always ready to fight for your beliefs. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the order of the gauntlet symbol is a clenched <laughs> fist in armor. All right. Um, we're going to roll for your nemesis. <clears throat> Ooh. 
Mm, give me another d6, Jake. Uh, three. Three is a dragon whose servants dog your steps. Dog my step? Like they're right on my tail? Yeah. 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 Oh. Ah, I mean, this this is literally, this feels like it fits like a glove in like a Rise of Tiamat. <laughs> like the dragon cult's been after you for some reason. You're part of the Order of the Gauntlet and you know you're right. Like you're faithful to your god. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite one. The last one um, out of Xanathar's is the Temptation Table. Oh, this is your personal I, uh, I think issue. you should just read all of these. I'd love okay. to hear them. Okay. Uh, fury, Pride, Lust, Envy, Despair, and Greed. Oh, that's this good. Is great. Yeah. I heard, um, I heard, I can't remember where I heard this, but I heard a concept that um, every time an, a paladin, a lawful good paladin swears an oath, a succubus is born in hell. Oh, that's interesting. And <laughs> specifically to like balance to out. counter out, yeah. Um, and maybe that succubus is like linked and is going to be after you. Um, and you, you know, you're going to have to be careful where you sleep or like, yeah, I love these temptations. That's so fun because, um, you would have a succubus target one of those specific temptations. And then, um, as the players create a paladin, the GM creates a specific succubus mm-hmm. who's going to attack him in this specific way. Yeah. Um, I never heard that, but that's wonderful. I can't remember that. that. Um, another, what was the first one was fury. Yeah. I, I feel like that fits so good for conquest or vengeance because, um, that going too far like i loved it when my vengeance paladin who claimed to be lawful good was holding a dragon cultist by the throat in the under decks of a ship and was choking him out and then laying on hands his throat healing him back to one health asking him the question and like doing that over and over and my my other players come down under the deck and are like what the what is happening like you're torturing <laughs> this person and he's like he knows something he's a cultist i'm sure of it look at the mark on his forehead and the cultist is just spitting on the paladin like while he's doing it. and it's like wow and it's like oh man it, it is so much tension in the party too because the party's like we're walking around with a torturer and that quote torturer is saying like that guy deserved it. He was objectively evil and was part of the dragon cult we're trying to take down. So I love that fury temptation of just like going too far. Hmm. Yeah. That's really great. Um, we always mention the edge of the empire, right? Like oh the, yeah. The trades, your, your, what you owe. And I think the temptation table is the closest thing I've seen that puts that into D and D build. You can build so much, um, into your adventures with just this one table and i think that's where the players have to they really have to to take that leap and be like yeah i'm going to be tempted by it because it's hard for some players to be like i have a flaw like they're like i don't i don't want to be like i'm not tempted by anything i'm lawful good and it's like oh it makes it so much better if you do have this weird like even i'm thinking of just like a, a kleptomaniac uh paladin Who's just like a good paladin who probably yells at the rogue for stealing things, but then, you know, is skimming off the top at the same time. Like, I don't know. I love that. <laughs> he would have a justification that it's like, it's oh, yeah. part of the tithe. I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's part of the tithe. Don't worry. <laughs> going straight to the god of good. All right. <laughs> oh, man. We, can we just like make this happen? Oh, uh, okay. So I guess the way we'd improve the paladin is by just reading Xanathar's. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's going to make your game better. To finish off, do we have any cool uh, character concepts for paladins that we haven't already talked about? So, in terms of like just going a little more unique, you could have a an inquisitor paladin. Mm-hmm. So this would be someone who Ooh. is 
probably someone who works for the crown and maybe they have multi-classed into the rogue inquisitor and they're just trying to seek out people who would be disloyal to the crown or the god that they serve and they're trying to destroy them before they can even get a chance to usurp the throne or their god because you really focus on the lawfulness of the paladin Mm -hmm. like you're just like the law is more important and then the people are telling you stop sob stories and you're just like i don't care you broke the law and you'll pay yeah that's a cool concept like inquisitor um i think for me a super cool concept is someone who multi-classes into paladin way later um, and so maybe they were a rogue their whole life, or maybe they were um, a warlock, um, or maybe they were just like some whatever, normal fighter. And then all of a sudden they multi, they suddenly decide later in life, maybe late into the campaign, to take an oath and to, to turn into like a good guy. Um, not even a good guy, but just take this oath and gain this new power and suddenly be able to do smites and stuff like that. I like someone taking an oath later in life. Hmm. Yeah, you could have maybe a someone who was a Pact of the Blade switch to being a paladin and being oh, like, I'm going to turn away from my And the stats patron. for that are really good. <laughs> yeah. So mine is less of a concept and more of a situation to put a paladin in that I think would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is based on Joseph Smith from Pocahontas or um, Jake oh. whoever from Avatar. Um, where basically you're sent as this kind of frontier um, tip of the spear um, settlement thing. And you are the representative from the The government. church and government. Yeah, right? Church and state together at last. (laughs) Um, And you you go there and you're put in situations where there is no clear-cut black and white answer. And you're dealing with things that are seemingly contradicting or or coming up against your oath or even um, other people who are in your expedition. Um, I think that would just be really interesting because, like you're saying, the most interesting paladins are the ones who really have to grapple with their beliefs and their oaths. Yeah. Yeah. I Also, I just love that concept for a setting. I really, really like um, – I did one. I think it was for the, the Tomb of Elemental Evil um, where they were settlers on a new land. Like they were the first expedition on the frontier. Um, and they arrive basically in the new world and they're greeted by these centaurs these tribal centaurs that are essentially an analog for like native americans um and so there was like this this conflict this inherent like the centaurs are like why are you here and you're just like we're just trying to spread our empire and our faith and it's like this this really oh i love that that setting i think it's underutilized i approve let's go to the vault Welcome to the Question Vault. Every week we answer one of your questions. You can submit your questions to voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. This week's vault question is from Jack, who lives in Tasmania, Australia. Nice. Tasmania. Yeah, if you're looking at a map of Australia, it's like a little island just off the southern uh, tip. So yeah, Tasmania. He says, hi, I've started a new D&D campaign and so far it's my first time DMing. Congratulations, Jack. Welcome to the club. Part of the crew, part of the ship. He says, my problem is that my players fit under the P aspect of the game. What I wanted was a RP sort of game, and I told them this. Uh, and he's referring to Jake's um, role, play, and game um, as the three aspects of D&D. So his players he's, want to be more silly and fun and play, mess around, and while he wants to be more serious and getting into the role play nature. Yes. yes. Okay. He, he says, they all agree to try, but we've played six games so far, and they... 
they have only progressed three hours worth of playing out of 18. I'm curious how he's tracking this. He says, they st- and they stuff around a lot, which I assume stuff around is like mess around in America. Uh, I feel... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start saying stuff around. I feel yeah, that funny. I am being a little selfish, but I don't want to make them stop. What do you suggest? If you read this, thanks so much. Thank you, Jack. Oh, Jack, we did read question. it. You're hearing it. I appreciate it. But that is, oh, I feel like this problem is pretty widespread um, because a lot of dungeon masters spend a lot of time crafting NPCs and worlds and story hooks. And then a lot of times people are like, oh, it's been a long week. Can't wait to just kick back with my friends, drink a few brews, just hang out, you know, make jokes. And and as you, the dungeon master is sitting there like, oh, like. <laughs> and blood vessels in his eyeballs are bursting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this. Oh, man. This, I have this is a thoughts. hard one. I have some thoughts. So yeah. if he is. OK, if this is Jack's first time DMing, that makes me suspect that these are his players first time playing D&D. Yeah. And that means they don't really know how to play right now. And if they do, like, I mean, then I'm totally out of line. But um, there's definitely a learning curve of learning how to to play well in this. And if they're just playing, um, the example I have is I recently played a game with some younger uh, players. And they one of their people died. I think it was David had a hireling. And he was killed. And immediately they, they start standing on his dead body just for kicks. Oh. And I'm like... And I and I like standing on his head, um, and I said, "This is like what, VR would, chat." Would you, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm not running a silly game, and this this is really not appropriate for this kind of game. Um, but I wasn't anyway. So I guess my advice for him is, uh, you're right. This is tough. And how does he progress three hours worth of eighteen? I'm curious how he tracks that. Maybe like so. Yeah. How, how do you think that works? I was just gonna say I have some thoughts on this. Okay, Dave. So. Um, I think uh, there are a few things that you could possibly do. One of them is if you want to focus more on the role-playing aspect of the game, maybe you could show your characters what good role-play can lead to. So, for example, maybe have them watch some critical role or something. Mm. That way they can see the benefits from having a really high-quality role-play-focused game. Yeah. I think the, the key word is nudges. You need to nudge them towards role play, but Mm -hmm. also they're not really nudging you. They're kind of, I'm guessing, kind of slapping you without even realizing, like unconsciously shoving Mm -hmm. you towards the more play aspect of it. So I think you guys are going to have to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, But I think you should be very communicative and say like, hey, guys, let's really try to like get into character. Um, really try to think of a good backstory. All of those things are little nudges. You know, think of an accent for your character. Make sure when you're talking at the table, if it's table talk and you're just making a joke, do that without the accent. Um, all of those things are just little nudges that will nudge them more towards the role play, uh, dramatic, more theatrical type of game. Um, but at the same time, allow yourself to be pulled a little more into the playful side of the game. Embrace some of the jokes. Mm-hmm. Maybe have some of your NPCs be sillier. Um, Waffle and, Kronk. Yeah, <laughs> like a Kronk in Shining Armor could come. Uh, mm-hmm. But all of those things, um, bottom line, you're going to have to meet in the middle, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Especially with first-time players, they will learn how to role-play um, the same way you will learn how to be a fantastic dungeon master. Um, but it is a collaborative effort, and you're going to have to meet them in the middle and really communicate what your idea is and then hear what their ideas for what the game is as well. I learned a lot when I first started playing because essentially I was writing out 
complete outlines of the entire campaign. And I said, episode one, here's exactly what will happen. Episode two, here's exactly what will happen. And um, when the players don't go along with it, because they won't, um, <laughs> I was really frustrated because I had prepped all this stuff that was just thrown away or changed completely. Yeah. And um, so I think letting go of your expectations and realize that you're not writing a story, you are playing a game with other people and um, not treating it so seriously. Uh, you know, it's easy to have my precious campaign syndrome where you just want it to go exactly how you want and my sacred text <laughs> my <laughs> sacred text um yeah just just relax don't do it um yeah so uh i kind of want to talk a little bit more about that so i think that one of the things that uh you might be that you might want to change in your mindset as well is instead of focusing on the progress that you're making in your campaign focus on drawing the players into your world Focus on getting them immersed into the game because once they're immersed, the the play aspect is going to start falling away mm -hmm. and people are going to want to be naturally more invested into the game and into their characters and into the world that you have built. So if you focus on more of immersing your players in this experience rather than focusing on like, well, we got to do we got to go to this location and then fight this creature and then do this and you're you're not going to have as much fun because you're going to look at it as we didn't progress very far compared to the characters and the players were really immersed tonight and they had a lot of fun and we didn't make it very far into the story but what we did do was really fun and really immersive and really role play focused mm -hmm. it's good yeah just keep at it keep nudging um and i think the longer you play the game will just start to click more um but make sure you and your players both um know what they want out of the game yeah yeah i'm glad that yeah that jack took the time to really talk to them because that's a great first step yeah and that was the question ball all right now it's time to mosey on down to review corner so <laughs> do we have to mosey <laughs> can we saunter <laughs> uh, only moseying will be allowed i think the uh, the centaur natives would just canter over <laughs> oh my so every week we read our favorite five-star review from iTunes. This week's review is this. Awesome as heck by Ando359. Great title. Such good and useful info. These guys have such good chemistry. The podcast is so entertaining. Even if I wasn't into d and I could listen to them. Oh, wow. wow. Thanks, Ando. Thanks, that, Ando359. I'm feeling awesome as heck right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know I am too. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 18. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's run by Jake. Um, he's there every day. As far as I can tell, he's never not on Twitter. Uh, the <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. Um, the Instagram is run by me. Uh, if you want to see beautiful photos and concept art of a fantastic nature um our instagram is at vox arcana podcast our facebook is a place to find articles and resources um this is where i post links to our blog articles and just things i find online that are interesting that also is at vox arcana podcast if you have questions or just feedback of any kind email us at vox arcana podcast at gmail.com the rumor that David is just a hand puppet voiced by me is not real, so please stop emailing us. <laughs>